Hello, and welcome to the Frontline series of WeShare podcasts, brought to you by WeShare Healthcare. WeShare Healthcare is a newly formed collaborative of not-for-profit NHS medical professionals with the aim of sharing innovation and best practice. My name is Ryan. I'm a final year medical student at Oxford University with an interest in how we can use innovation and tech to identify and overcome problems in healthcare. Even from first glance at their website, linked in the description of this podcast, it is clear that the patient is at the centre of everything that happens at msk.ai. My Recovery is a digital platform built to manage the orthopaedic patient journey, offering improved information, recovery tracking functions and interactive PT sessions. It could be integrated into a surgeon's existing technology network to complement the use of EPR and wearables, for example, and longitudinal data can help to maximise the quality of care delivered. It's fantastic to be joined today by Tom, CEO and co-founder of My Recovery and their other associated applications. I'm also joined by Marie, who is a plastic surgery registrar and part of the podcast team at WeShare. Thanks very much for taking the time to share your journey with us today, Tom. We're both really excited to hear your thoughts. No, th- yeah, thank you. I appreciate uh, being invited onto the, onto the podcast. So firstly, for those who may not be familiar with what goes on at MSK.ai, it would be great to hear about, about your background and the fantastic work that My Recovery does. So what was the problem that you identified as being in need of a solution and in need of that solution from you in particular? So I started off as an orthopedic um, trainee. So I went to medical school, then did foundation training up in Manchester and Salford, um, and then started uh, surgical training uh, in London at UCH, uh, and then in, in orthopedics. So we had a bit of a, a funny start. We never really meant to found a company or do anything like that. So I ended up being a patient. I had six operations in six months as, um, as a, whilst being a trainee. So a lot of time out, a lot of sick leave. Uh, so a lot of time to think about um, <laughs> what to do to us and uh, you know, not, not being housebound and that sort of stuff. Um, so I, think I was interested in research, understanding outcomes, trying to quantify, I guess, disease progression, treatment and outcome uh, in musculoskeletal disease. So that's kind of what got us started. I also you know, had time to reflect on as a patient undergoing surgery, sort of what information was I being given? Um, and then also as a surgeon, what sort of information was I looking at sort of to understand my patients? So I guess I was um, blessed with a, a huge amount of time out of training to think about what am I doing? Um, so that gave me time to think. Uh, and then uh, due to a number of circumstances, it was probably best that I left surgery training. And that's when I decided to turn this into uh, something, I guess. So that's kind of how the company started. That's a long time ago. Um, we we've evolved quite a way we started off with a patient app uh, some people know that app it's called my recovery and that guides patients through their care pathway uh, that's always customized to the surgeon and the procedure which is very important and the center the care team um, and that's part of a wider platform which is called msk.ai and we see that as a really a digital surgery platform in orthopedics primarily but we do sort of look after some other surgical specialties brilliant thank you and was there any inspiration for that idea for well, firstly for msk.ai, but also for the platforms that you've developed as part of that. Um, what was your solution built entirely from scratch, you know, from this journey that you've, you've undergone yourself as a patient? Yeah, well, I guess it's evolved. Um, I think, you know, when we were doing this, when we started off, you know, this is for wearables. So wearables and, and uh, you know, things like Apple Health and sort of tracking of activity data just wasn't a thing. Um, so I think... When it happened, um, I, I think we were a bit ahead of the game. It's 
sounds like a bit too pretentious, but um, we were early and I think we were a bit too early. Um, so we had to ride that out, that time period out, whilst it was like a new and exciting idea for a long time. Uh, and I think now we are certainly in certain parts of the world becoming a, a standard of care, uh, which is expected or, 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 you know, one of the only ways forward. Um, so we've had to evolve as we've learned and we've learned a huge amount. And I think we've also started to learn about the, you know, the entire surgical pathway, the entire surgical journey, um, which is, you know, a lot of that's on the patient side, but there's a lot on the surgeon side as well. And how do we make decision, make decisions in about our patients and who to treat? before March I got to go around the world um, and meet lots of different people and lots of different surgeons from all around the world and, and learn different things and get different ideas so uh, we've been influenced heavily sort of along our course if that makes sense. Yeah that's great and obviously like you say COVID's unfortunately interrupted a lot of that but um, you know before that it'd be interesting to hear about you know the kind of places you went to kind of experiences you've had and um, trying to develop the platform abroad um, what kind of places have you been to? Well, I think, well, um, I guess we've, we've already spent a lot of time in the US, um, which is kind of inevitable, I guess, uh, but also mainland Europe as well. So, um, you know, we've worked in Germany, Italy, uh, France, Belgium, um, Australia, uh, US, etc. So, um, and then some sort of slightly more obscure places, but so I think we've, we've had been able to, and, and like, you know, since the normal sense in the UK as well, I can't forget that, but we've been lucky to work around, work with some sort of, I guess, uh, our sort of clinical and sort of academic heroes uh, from training and, and people that you see all the papers, et cetera. Um, so, you know, we've, I guess we've just been very fortunate in that sense. So that was all very exciting, Tom. How have you found the uptake of the platform and the associated apps in the beginning when you first started throughout the years and now, especially during the COVID period? Yeah, so I mean, look, we've been going for quite a long time, so quite a few years now. The best part, you know, we've probably had an app out there for four years. Um, so we now work with, you know, we now have government level contracts. Um, yeah. We have some global partnerships. Um, so, and we, you know, we start off by working with a few individuals and learning and working with them together. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, like, it's, it's difficult. I think everything takes time. I think you've just got to be around to be trusted, I think. It takes, just takes a long time. Um, and, yeah, I mean, everything everything's always a push. But I think you know, as things have gone on, I think, you know, we, as I was saying earlier, I think it, you start off as um, something novel. And so that sounds, you know, well, that's nice to have and interesting to something that um, people aren't really that surprised by the fact that you know through an app you could potentially give someone the right information for their operation you know that's not or you could do a prom survey on an app it's, it's not that mind-blowing anymore um, yeah what you can start to do the learning I think and now we're trying to push it to another level so you know we start off very simple and still the simple things that we start off with work very well like but we've always relied on video content um, and filming the clinical team and using that video content so it's your team that gives you your information as you go down through your pathway it's really important we've yeah. always thought that patients don't really trust third-party platforms they trust their, their their care team and i think there's a uniquely strong relationship between a patient and a surgeon uh, of trust so i think that's really important and powerful um i think i guess every year we we try and push the boundaries in which you've always got to implementation again you know sort of resistance but for example a big part of my research um, has been around motion tracking and biomechanics. So 
uh, we've invested heavily in computer vision and markerless motion capture. So can you, from a single camera, accurately measure human function, or especially from a biomechanical perspective? So um, we've now been pushing out sort of peer-reviewed evidence in this and are deploying uh, technology for a smartphone, which effectively can measure from a single camera um, how straight a leg is, for example, to you know a degree, for example. So, and can that help us uh, manage patients undergoing knee replacement surgery remotely? Can that help us uh, identify early complications uh, and you know ultimately lead to better patient care, better patient safety, but also potentially help reduce the cost of care? Um, and that's key in place, you know, here, but also in the US. So I think that's something we're now trying to implement, which is like the new challenge. When our old project that we were implementing a couple of years ago was just challenging getting an app in people's hands. Now people accept the app. Now we've got to get them to accept that the camera on the phone can now provide almost as much accuracy as a gate lab, for example. Have you noticed a difference in the, in, um, during the COVID period? Have you noticed a difference in the uptake? Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it's changed everything. Um, whether or not it continues to change everything is the story. So, yeah, first of all, you know, 90% of what we do is orthopedics. So, uh, and, and most of that is elective. So, on one angle, everything stopped. Now, what's interesting, because we had, we've been, you know, we have a lot of presence, or, well, we have not a lot, but we have a, we have a fair number of centers, um, we have a pretty good number of centers across the US and, and, and mainland Europe. So, we could see some of the effects of COVID. Uh, through our data, pre pre it really hit in the UK. So, for example, we have centres in northern Italy, we have centres in Germany, and we could actually see them stopping their elective surgery, um, and and almost watching it like a domino effect through mainland Europe. You know, we have centres in the Low Countries and throughout Europe, so we could see those guys just stopping, uh, and see us not stopping, which is quite strange to see. And then after we stopped, we could then see our US customers stopping. It's sort of like this domino effect across. Um, as all of our sort of charts went down on sort of elective procedures being just stopped and cancelled. Um, so I think there's been a number of effects for us. So we quickly realised that um, there was just a huge problem. Well, I mean, that sounds so, so ridiculous. So sort of the acute medical side of COVID across, there was, there was a huge problem for the paedic elective surgery. Obviously, this has to be put into perspective because, you know, what was going on or what has been going on is... is crazy and you can't really describe it but outside of that there was a problem within elective orthopedic surgery and this problem was just going to sort of be something that continues to build and build and build you know, essentially waiting lists are going to go through the roof so there's a huge number of patients awaiting surgery there's a huge number of patients living in chronic with chronic pain chronic joint pain and these patients are going to struggle to be seen to have surgery and you know we're hearing some disturbing numbers about how long elective um waiting lists are going to take specifically in sort of orthopedics. And I think, you know, it's been fantastic the work that the Royal College and, and BOA have been putting out uh, and raising the profile of this and, and putting it on the, you know, the agenda and having this discussion. So quickly we realized that and a lot of the surgeons and customers that we were, and our partners in the UK that we were working with, we were saying that they had a massive problem. They were having to cancel or defer or postpone their patient's surgery. Um, they had little to no resource because everything was on the sort of you know urgent fight on the sort of COVID front line. There's not much resource out there, but there's a huge number of people who are vulnerable, who are living in chronic pain, who have little to no care or service and have no indication of when they will be treated. So we worked, we contacted a number of our customers throughout or partners throughout the NHS, throughout the UK, and put together this idea, which was joint school. 
the joint school yeah. is really a digital service of what most hospitals do. So, you know, most hospitals have a joint school. It's sort of a, a service that you learn and manage your joint pain and get ready for surgery. So the idea is, could we put this digital service free to use any NHS trust or any patient can use it as a patient, it would help you get ready for surgery if, and get you in the best shape for when you are eventual operation is, but it'd also help you manage and live with your symptoms in that time period, in, in this unknown time period. So, um, and you know, patients may be waiting up to two years for hearing rooms or one to two years now. So that was what Joint School was. It was a mixture of sort of a streaming service where we were working with orthopedic surgeons and physios throughout the country, a mobile app, and, and then other sort of information in different, you know, different ways. Uh, across that platform, I mean, we've had some amazing uptake. Um, I think we've had something like 25,000 unique um, people interact with the platform. So across the different services, from streaming to apps, it, I mean, it's quite amazing actually. And then, you know, we've had it picked up on uh, BBC News. Uh, we're on the quotes on the front page of the Sunday Times, uh, and then local news and the Express and stuff. So, um, and and people like the BOA have been extremely supportive. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a free service. So a number of really good NHS trusts have been behind it and inviting their patients or recommending it as a free service to patients. Um, we've had, and the most important thing, we've had a lot of feedback from patients who are really getting value from that. And you know, I think you can see that from the communities online and people talking about it under the videos and the questions that we get in. And what are the next steps to integrating this platform more into the NHS? The, the, the main platform is, is there and that's growing quickly through the NHS. And that's more of the, you know, the way to really manage your care pathway uh, through, you know, throughout the department. So that's going well. I think that's, that's becoming more and more, you know, part of the establishment and, and start more and more hospitals are signing on to that. I think what it'd be interesting to see how, uh, how joint school can grow. I think, um, I think, you know, you're asserting yourself and I'd be really interested to know what you, you guys are seeing on waiting lists, elective waiting lists, but, I don't, from what I see, there aren't any short-term answers or short-term fixes. Um, so I think there's going to be a large cohort of patients who are awaiting surgery. I mean, I'm personally awaiting surgery myself. Yeah, it's like, oh um, wow, <laughs> <laughs> nothing. I mean, nothing too major, but it's you know, I don't think anybody knows, right? I mean, what what are you guys quoting? What do you think your department's looking at for elective procedures? I don't know. So we yeah. stopped all elective procedures throughout COVID and we haven't quite restarted yet. Um, I don't yeah. think anyone knows to be honest. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the, the, the response to COVID was unquestionably the only option, right? Unquestionably the only option. Um, everything had to stop and I think no one's ever questioned that, but you know, there, there are knock on effects and these knock on effects will be serious. And um, I don't think anyone's criticizing why we're there, but it, it is just the case that this is now a major problem waiting this. Um, COVID came at a time where waiting lists were already long. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that had been reported by the Royal College and that had been reported by the BOA. So it came at a bad time of, of waiting lists. And, you know, there's plenty of evidence that living with chronic joint pain is, is, is not good, to say the least. And, um, you know, a lot of people look at this as life-saving surgery. You know, we, we, know, we know what the impact of chronic pain and immobility is on, on patients. So um, and it is... So it needs to be sorted. So, um, so I think there's a there is a role for joint school to continue. I think there's a we need to work at how when those patients do finally get operated, how do we push them into the system? I think there's some technical solutions to that, and a lot of our partners are keen to work with us on that. 
I also think one of the numbers that we don't hear is, you know, we always think about how many patients are in the waiting list for surgery. That's my 18-month-old daughter. We don't necessarily ask ourselves about how many patients are waiting to see an orthopedic surgeon or a surgeon for elective procedure. You know, that's like the second waiting list or the second funnel, which isn't necessarily quantified, if that makes sense. Um, and, you know, these waiting lists are getting larger and larger as well. So I think there is an opportunity for us to help support patients um, who are waiting to finish the treatment, as well as our sort of day-to-day -day job, which is helping support patients throughout surgery. Um, in the US and, and, and in the UK, we are doing a lot of work on our core platform to really help centres um, start to deliver safe elective care again. Uh, and this is more on a remote level. So how can you screen for patients uh, pre-surgery? So, uh, you know, have you had temperature fever, has any family member, et cetera. Um, but then also start to deliver more of remote care. So, uh, and this, this was referenced to some of the BRA guidelines, which was fantastic, but it's how can you, um, you know, so this is where our computer vision, artificial intelligence comes in. If we can start to use computer vision and artificial intelligence to follow up patients post-operatively, maybe we can stop face-to-face -face clinics. Um, if our algorithm can tell a, a surgeon who's just completed a total knee replacement that the leg is straight post-operatively, maybe that can reduce a face-to-face -face clinic. Um, so maybe that can reduce the chance and the risk to a, a patient who is in the vulnerable age group coming back into hospital and help facilitate safe elective care post COVID sort of pre-vaccine, if that makes sense. And that would, that would be via the My Recovery platform rather than yeah. the joint school platform? Yeah, it's all via the, sort of the MSK platform. We, we have different apps under different names for different people in different countries sometimes. So, um, for example, a hospital may have the app under their own hospital name, but under our technology, let's say. Mm. So, um, yeah, and that's something that is particularly, you know, our, some of our partners in America have been more, um, have been quicker to return to surgery or elective care, put it that way, than, um, for, than the UK or some countries that we're working with have been. So that's where we're seeing that technology start to be employed outside of the UK. Thank you, Tom. Um, so last question from me. You mentioned earlier that it helps that you've been around for a long time, but do you have any tips for um, new innovators um, in terms of embedding their solution to, to the system? Yeah, well, certainly, yeah, I guess, I guess I did think around that. Long. I think we, it, you know, the company was two to four people for a year or so for a bit. And then we've been, you know, the last couple of years been more of a, much larger team and a much larger business that, you know, in that sense, but we're still very small and very young. Um, I think, I guess it's helped from a software perspective being around for more than a year. I think the challenge you've always got when you go, especially with the NHS and an NHS hospital or a large organization is that the barrier to entry is just very high for, you know, your first idea and your first app. Um, you know, it's very difficult for a one man band or these sort of things, but also that, you know, it, Lots of companies come and go, and lots of people have ideas which never really come off, which is, is fine. But it's difficult for a larger organization to invest or, or invest their time into you when you're first starting out, because the chances are you just won't be around. Or the chances are that you don't have money in the bank to be around. Maybe you'll find it, but you don't have it to be around. So I think it's really, really hard when you are getting your first break. It's incredibly difficult. Um, and I think that's where, you know, you have to be smart and be honest and open with people and 
and get people to sort of believe in you because um, you know it can take it can it can take you nine to twelve months just to go through jump all through the hoops at an NHS trust before you've even discussed if there's a financial budget. You know? so, <laughs> yeah, I think we all know that feeling. So you know it's very hard as a small thing to, to for one them to to even invest in you with their time because I think will these guys even be around next year? And then two for you to keep your, the lights on because. You know, is there a chance that we get paid or will you even cover your costs or probably not? So I think these are challenges. So I think if you're really smart, really nimble and, and not boil the ocean, have to keep it really, really simple. Just do something very basic very at the beginning, which you can get out and test and show that that works and then build it from there. But quite often I see people um, propose sort of ideas which are complicated or difficult. And uh, I'm guilty of that all the time. And always tells me I'm very guilty of that. But I think having something which you can get out, demonstrate that works. Um, it's simple and uh, yeah, difficult. And then, you know, if you're trying to go into more deep technology, I think you've got to build evidence around it. So something really at the key to us. So you know, generating peer reviewed evidence or, or presenting at academic conferences is, is really key to what we do. You know, we're trying to get people to believe in these new data sets to show that these new data sets have far more value and far more clinical insight than traditional prom scores or something. I mean, again, you guys are from Oxford, so you've got the Oxford score, uh, probably, probably the most used historical orthopedic scoring system. But regardless, you know, how can these new data sets show new insight? And I think there's obvious new insight. If people get it, you know, if I'm going to operate at somebody's knee, it should be relevant that I know how much they normally walk and how much they've walked post-knee fix, right? It's, you know, a bit of logic there. But you know, I think if you really want to get people to trust it and believe it or start to use it properly, you do need to generate peer-reviewed evidence, and that's key. Uh, I think that's the sort of advantages that this network have, or, you know, I've known Ryan for years, and let Ryan talk about all the all of Tony Young and the clinical entrepreneurs. I think creating that sort of, um, that, that, that sort of thinking comes naturally to us because, you know, we've all worked clinically and we think clinically and, you know, we want to generate that sort of evidence to support it. That makes sense. Well, thank you, Tom. That's very helpful. Yeah, thank you very much, Tom. That was all really interesting. Um, and we've focused quite a lot up to this point on sort of um, your journey so far and, and how you've gone about implementing your solution into the system. Um, so I'm just going to bring it back quickly and just grab some final thoughts for you because I'm just aware of the time. Uh, is there anything that your team needs now um, in order to make headway with existing or any new projects that you're perhaps thinking up? Um, for example, any more clinical, any strategy input, any marketing, any user design? Um, what, what does MSK need now to progress? Was it MSK need that? Um, <laughs> how long is a piece of string? Um, I think you know. I always want more, right? So I think we. I think that's just natural. Now I think it's um, for for our business to progress. I think it'd be it be. And I think for as a and as an industry and as a sector, I think everybody wants to see the safe return of elective surgery in orthopedics. I think that would be the biggest thing that. Uh, will help us move forward, but also help the industry move forward. Um, so I think everybody wants to see safe elective surgery um, performed uh, on patients. I think that would be great. Um, internally, I think we have a plan. I think we're executing that. I think we're building really, really great partnerships where everybody's learning together um, with like fantastic, fantastic surgeons in sort of clinical departments. So I think that, I think for us really it is about delivering safe surgery. And I think if we can be, a, I think we can also be, uh, play a role in helping to deliver that as well. Um, 
yeah, I think that's probably the most important thing today, which you can't really get past. Great. Thanks for those final thoughts, Tom. Um, and another huge thank you for sharing your experience with us today. And we'll leave you to enjoy the sunshine and the hot weather while we still have it. Yeah, no, thanks very much. Appreciate it. We are WeShare.Healthcare. Share big, share quick, share now.